The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. as it is to believe, is Thanksgiving Day. We're looking forward to celebrating and thanking the Lord for His goodness to us. Right after that, as you know, we'll move right into the Christmas season. And at that time, we have Christmas music that we'll be focusing on and telling you the details of, but also our emphasis will be on world missions through what we've called the Light of Moon Christmas Offering or our World Mission Offering. I hope you'll begin thinking about that, praying about it, and in preparation for that, a week from today, I have the joy of being here to introduce to you a veteran missionary who, along with his family, have given their lives to serve the Lord and Southern Baptists in Vietnam, and are still doing that today. His name is Dr. Sam James. He not only is a good missionary, he's a good preacher. And you're in for a treat, and I'm looking forward to him being with us and laying the foundation for our future emphasis in December on world missions. Our money goal is $52,000. We're going to reach that, but also we want to be prayerfully supporting all of our nearly 5,000 international missionaries. So keep that in mind as we come together next Sunday, November 23rd. Now this morning, open your Bible, if you will, to a not-so-well-known passage in the little epistle of 2 Peter, way over in the back of your New Testament, and find, if you will, chapter 1. These words are written by the one who every time the disciples are mentioned in the Bible, he's always mentioned first, Simon Peter. Whenever there's a small group, kind of the executive committee of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, he's always mentioned. He wrote two books of our New Testament, and we're going to look at the one less familiar, 2 Peter chapter 1. Look, if you will, beginning in verse 3. Speaking about God, he says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us very great and precious promises. So that through them you may participate in the divine nature. And escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires and called by lust. Verse 5. For this very reason make every effort to. And I want you to look carefully at those next four words. Add to your faith. Say it out loud with me. Add to your faith. One more time. Add to your faith. One more time. Add to your faith. Now, if you don't get anything else out of this passage, you remember those four words, and I'm going to give you four more in just a moment. He says, beside this, add to your faith, and he lists seven things to be added. He says, add goodness and to goodness, knowledge and to knowledge, self-control and to self-control, perseverance and to perseverance, 
godliness and the godliness, brotherly kindness and the brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities, these seven things, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind. Our English word myopia, short-sightedness, comes from this word. And has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure for if you do these things, here are the next four words, you will never fall. One more time. You will never fall. One more time. You will never fall. One more time. You will never fall. Now, if you do these things, seven, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Across all dimensions of Christendom today, there is a common problem that all churches of all denominations face. It's the problem of ineffective Christians. Christians who have fallen by the wayside. What I'm talking about is, I know more about Baptists, Southern Baptists, than anyone else. And we are a Southern Baptist church, so let me talk to you about a part of our dimension we don't often say a lot about. When we're telling people who we are, we say we're the largest non-Catholic evangelical denomination anywhere in the United States. And we are. 15, 16 million members of churches just like ours. That's the good news. The bad news is 25% of those 15, 16 million are lost. Now, I'm not judging them spiritually. I don't have any right to do that. Physically, they're lost. I mean, they moved off to Tennessee or Georgia or Florida or North Carolina, South Carolina, California. They took their stove. They took their refrigerator. They took the TV. They took the kids. They even took the cats and dogs but they didn't take the church membership. It's still here, just like some of you. You moved here from Timbuktu, and you're living in Alabama and Shelby County, and your church membership somewhere. And I'm not fussing at you, but I am saying if you moved here, you also need to move your church membership, and we'd be delighted to welcome you. You don't have to join here. If you want to go somewhere else, you can go down the road, go second class. But no, no, I don't mean that. Seriously, 25% of our membership are what we call, in a glorified term, non-resident. That means they live somewhere geographically, but their church membership is still somewhere else. 25%, that's one out of four. Of the remaining ones that are still here, 25% never come. You know what I'm talking about. I've now been in your church, I believe it's 19 Sundays, and there's some of your members of all things have still not heard me preach one time. And I'm not talking about them missing me. We've missed them, and I hope when you see them, you'll tell them so. 
but 25% of most churches who live here never come. Now that leaves 50%. 25% live somewhere else, 25% here but don't come. Of the remaining 50%, before you get too spiritually arrogant, 20% of those who come give 80% of the money. Did you hear what I said? 20% give 80% of the money. Now let's go a little farther. 30% give 20% of the money. If you've got your calculator out, you've already added it up. We've got all the money, but we've got 50% of the people left. And 50% of the members of the average church of all denominations, ours included, give what? Said out loud. Zero. What? Zero. One more time. Zero. I don't believe God likes that. Do you? He died for our sins on the cross. He gave us the gift of eternal life. And we give zero. Now, don't hear me say, give you money and God will forgive your sin. No, God will forgive your sin. We come without money and without price. But when he's Lord of my life, that means he's also Lord of my pocketbook. Now, I say all of this to underscore we need to hear what the Bible says and what we're going to look at this morning as much as anybody, that is, how not to fall as a Christian. Three things I want you to see in these verses we looked at here a moment ago. First of all, the ground, G-R-O-U-N-D of our faith, or the, the basis, the foundation to our faith, the the ground of our faith, and there are two words Peter uses that give us the fundamental ground to our faith. The first of these is the divine power of God, that's in verse 3, and the second is the divine promises of God, that's in verse 4. But look at, he says, there's given to us through his exceeding great and that uh, the, through his divine power, he's given us everything we need for two things, life and godliness. Have you ever thought about that? Life there is not talking about physical life. That's one word in the Bible, bios. But this is the word zoe, which means eternal life, our spiritual life. God has provided for and given as a free gift to every Christian everything we need for, life, for spiritual life. You know what I'm talking about here. I couldn't save myself. You couldn't save yourself any more than we could lift ourselves up by our own bootstraps or we could paddle across the Atlantic Ocean in a toothpick. You can't do that. I can't do that. It's impossible. It's impossible to save yourself. And what we couldn't do, the Bible says graciously, God had the power to do for us. And he provided everything that was needed for you and me to become a Christian. He provided the cross. He provided the blood. He provided everything that we need for salvation. And he offers it to us as a free gift called eternal life. And Peter says, his divine power has given us everything we need for life, eternal life, spiritual life. Now, so far we're together, but notice the second word he has there. He gave us everything we need for life, and look at that second word, godliness. That is, living the Christian life. Godliness means, and we'll see it again in a moment, God 
like mess. He's given us everything we need. You don't have to do anything. You can't buy it. But the main thing is, in living the Christian life, not falling by the wayside, not becoming non-resident, not becoming guilty of spiritual grand larceny and robbing God, he's given us everything we need for godliness. God has given that to us. That's his divine power. Now, most of us believe he gives us everything we need for eternal life, but then we forget the same God who gave us the gift of eternal life has given us the wherewithal to live the Christian life. You cannot do it by yourself. I cannot do it by myself. Nobody can, but thankfully God doesn't expect us to. He doesn't say, now I've saved you, do the best you can. I'm, I've saved you, now you get to heaven the best way you can. He doesn't do that. He said, I've not only saved you, I sustain you. I help you. I will enable you to live like I ask you to live. You can't do it by yourself. Remember that promise, Philippians 4.19? I can do all, 4.13, I can do all things through Christ. God's sustaining power and God's sustaining efforts to enable us to live the Christian life. So, the ground of our faith is number one, the divine power of God, but then coupled with that right here, he says, whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious, what? Promises. God fills his word with promises. Some of your favorite verses in the Bible are probably promises God has given to you and to me. You know what I'm talking about. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That promise where all of us became Christians. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, Philippians 4.19. On and on I could go. Several years ago, a book came out entitled, All the Promises of the Bible. I have it on my library. And in, that, in the foreword of that book, the author says, quotes a Canadian Christian by the name of Eric Stormer, who read the Bible through 37 times. And the last few times, he made a special study of noting all the promises in the Bible. And when he came through at the end, he found 8,810 promises in the Bible. Can you believe? 66 books. Over 8,800 promises. Now here's what I want you to remember. I've, frankly, I've never counted it, so I can't guarantee that's right, but it's close to right. My guess is it's exactly right. But here's the point. The same Bible tells us in 1 Kings 8, God never breaks a promise. And that's the wonderful, encouraging thing. God never has, never will break a promise. And so every promise God's given, ever how many they are in the Bible, they're innumerable. God never breaks a promise. So we sit here today the beneficiaries of the divine power of God that gave us everything we needed for life and godliness and the divine promises of God that he's never broken and that undergird and sustain us in living the Christian life. Now you would think with all of that that nobody would ever fall by the wayside, but they do. 
And don't sit there and look at them and say, well, I guarantee you, preacher, I could never do that. You're one step closer to doing it when you say you could never do it. You couldn't do it. People better than you and I have fallen by the wayside. And there's hardly a person in this building this morning, you do not know at least one person that walked the aisle of a church somewhere, followed Christ in Christian baptism, said Jesus is Lord, and today they're nowhere to be found in his church. That's sad. That's tragic. Yes, it could happen to you or to me. We don't want it to. So let's look at the second thing. The ground of our faith is God's power in verse 3, God's promises in verse 4. But look now at the growth, G-R-O-W-T-H, of our faith. The last word in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, says, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, mainly what we want to see here is that Peter outlines once our foundation is laid in God's power and God's promises, then he says, I want to challenge you to grow in your faith. I want you to look carefully at the words that I ask you to repeat with me a moment ago in verse 5. He says, make every effort to add to your faith. Now, some of you are sitting out there and saying, Brother Carter, I don't know about that. I've always thought the Bible taught, by grace are you saved through faith, plus, work not, plus nothing. Not of works, lest anybody should boast. By grace, through faith. Alone. I believe that. But let me put that in proper perspective. We are saved by faith alone. But faith that saves never stays alone. Now the amens ought to be as loud for that as they are about the first part. We are saved by faith alone. But faith that saves never stays alone. A saving faith is always a growing faith. You see that in the natural realm. These beautiful flowers that you see right here. They're what we call sometimes cut flowers. You know what I mean? They were, they were alive. They were growing somewhere in the soil. Had nutrients and had uh, water. And somebody cut them in order to arrange this bouquet. And I promise you, two weeks from today, what's going to happen to them? We say they wilt. They what? D-I-E. What? Die. Die. Why? They've been cut off from their source of life. They say, what are you saying? I'm saying to you, the faith that says, faith, we are saved by faith alone. But the faith that says will never stay alone any more than these flowers could grow alone without staying in the soil. So please understand, Peter is right on target when he says, add to your faith. Now, what I want to challenge you to do this morning, you don't have to be a theologian to understand these seven words that Peter puts here that he says, he says, then the reason I motivate you to use this, he says, if you'll do these seven things, listen to it, you will never fall. 
It doesn't say you'll fall and come back. It doesn't say you won't fall most of the time. You won't fall. He said, you will never fall. That's what I would call God's guarantee against spiritual ineffectiveness. God's guarantee to prevent falling. You say, I don't want to fall as a Christian preacher. Okay, listen to this then. Peter says, add to your faith. First of all, the NIV has, add to your faith, goodness. The King James has it, virtue. It's a word that really means, originally the word arate means excellence, a standard for excellence. Several years ago, some secular men wrote a book for the business world called A Passion for Excellence. I wish Christians had that, that everything we do, we ought to give it our very best. Look your best, sing your best, pray your best, study your best, give your best, do the best you can to be on fire for God every single day of every day of your life. Give your best. That's what this word means. Now, specifically, it had to do with character, excellence of character. In language we can understand, it has to do with morality. Probably more Christians have fallen by the wayside in our lifetime over moral lapses than any one single thing. Now, it's not the only thing that causes us to fall. Greed can and other things can, but moral laxity. Young people in particular are, are tempted here. And let me say to every young person who's here, young people, listen to me carefully, and I say this in love, particularly you young girls, listen to me. You only give your virginity away one time. Only one time do you give it away. Save it for the love of your life. The man you plan to spend the rest of your life with. Just hold on to it. It's sacred. It's a gift of God. I say that not just to young people, but to all of us. Moral purity is absolutely imperative if we're going to grow in our grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Please understand, God will forgive us when we fall into sin, but it hurts us. It hurts him. It hurts our witness. So add to your faith, character, integrity, moral purity. Virtue is a good word if you know what it means. And then he says, add to your goodness, knowledge. There are two words in the Bible for knowledge. One is the word for kind of philosophical knowledge. It's the word oida, which is we, it's first, uh, James 1.5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, and God will give it to you. We usually translate this word wisdom. And I've prayed with your pastor search team that they might have the wisdom of God to understand God's will for the church as we look for a pastor. That's one kind of wisdom. This is the practical kind of wisdom. It's the wisdom that is very practically related to our life day after day. Not the fundamental, foundational, philosophical wisdom, but just knowledge to know how to put wisdom into action. This is the word that he's talking about here. Now, how do you gain knowledge as a Christian? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to know the answer to that. Right here in this book, God gives us his will and his way. Now, hear me carefully. You and I cannot be growing Christians like we are told to do, adding to our faith 
unless we are involved in some kind of ongoing Bible study. It is impossible to be a growing Christian and not be involved in some kind of Bible study. Any more than these flowers can grow on their own, they can't. They've got to be rooted and grounded in the nutrients of the soil and the, and the water. You and I have to be rooted and grounded in the Bible. Now, I don't mean you've got to be a Bible scholar. I don't mean you have to read two books of the Bible every day. But I am saying regular, systematic, systematic study of the Bible is imperative if I'm going to avoid falling as a Christian. You say, I don't want to fall. All right, here it is. Add to your faith knowledge. Now, you, that, the practical way we provide for you, and that is our Sunday school. The easiest way to be involved in ongoing Bible study is just be involved in Sunday school. And I hope every one of you either were in Sunday school or you're going to be in Sunday school because as goes the Sunday school, so goes our church. And so many churches today are building up a great celebration worship service. Praise God. Hallelujah. I like to do that. But there comes a time I need to go to school. I need to get myself involved in Bible study in order to know what God wants me to do and me to know his will for my life. And so, Bible study, knowledge of God, God's word, God's will, God's way. So Peter says, add to your virtue, knowledge. And add to knowledge, he says, look at it in your Bible now, self-control, or I think the King James has temperance. I don't like that word now. I used to like it. But you know, most Baptists have made temperance a part of what? Whiskey. You don't drink whiskey, booze, alcohol, liquor, call it what you will, then you're temperate. No, 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 no. Many of us need to remember you can dig your grave with a knife and fork as quickly as you can with a liquor bottle. Did he say that in church? I did. It can happen. Now, Here's what I'm saying. Some people have more problems with certain things than other things, but my point is that we want to be so self-control, not just in our morality and our uh, eating habits, but our sleeping habits, and also in our avoiding drugs and alcohol and things of that nature. Now, Peter says, add self-mastery, self-control. Several years ago, a well-known preacher in New York I did not agree with some of his theology, but he was a very good communicator, and he wrote a, one of the last books he ever wrote was entitled, Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, was entitled Sin, Sex, and Self-Control. Sin, Sex, and Self-Control. And the thesis of that book was the only way for you to be a self-controlled person is to be a spirit-controlled person. I cannot control myself. I did, I'd do a better job of it. I must be controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul uh, said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but what? Christ lives in me. Now, dear friend, that is so powerful and it's so important that we understand if I want to be a self-controlled person, the Spirit of God who lives in my life and your life, if you're a Christian, helps us keep ourselves under control. So add self-control. And then he says, add to that 
Some translations have it, patience. I like this word, perseverance. If I had to corner a word, I'd call it stick-to-itiveness. It just means keeping on, keeping on, keeping on, keeping on, keeping on, keeping on. We would probably call it faithfulness. Now listen carefully. Perseverance is a word that literally means getting under the load, your knees not buckle. When the pastor's gone, been here 35 years and he's gone, ain't ever coming back as pastor again. You still are faithful because you love God, not Mike Shaw. I don't mean you don't love him, but God's number one. He's right up there next to God for some of us, but he's a human being. And he got older and he decided God was leading him to leave. Now what I'm saying is faithfulness, perseverance. Even when we don't have a pastor, I appreciate how faithful you've been in your attendance and in your spirit and in your support of the church. But let's keep on keeping on keeping on keeping on faithfulness. Perseverance. The man who was a Sunday school superintendent, the first church I had out of seminary, was out in the northwest part of Jefferson County in a little community called Forestdale. He was the superintendent of the Sipco Shopping Center down in Sipco. His name was E.R. Talbert. He became a dear friend of mine then. He still is today, and it's more than 55 years later. And here's what I remember. Every Sunday, 52 Sundays out of the year, he was always in church and Sunday school. He never missed a Sunday. Now, that's not very important. I was there, his pastor, nearly six years. He never missed a Sunday. 52 years later, that layman gets a headache like you do, gets a toothache like you do, other things like we do, 52 years, he's still living. He's never missed one single Sunday. Not one. In Sunday school. You say, Brother Carter, how'd he do that? They never had any kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, I jokingly say that that is the truth. You say, didn't it ever get bad weather? It did. I remember one time it snowed out there on a Sunday. You know what he did? He just invited all of his neighbors to come into his living room and he taught the Bible study at Sunday school right there in his living room. He's done that more than one time. Now, you may say, that's legalistic. Oh, dear friend, it's faithfulness. It's just keeping on, keeping on, keeping on, keeping on. It's perseverance. I'm glad he's been able to do that to prove that it can be done. But my point is, you and I, to try to set ourselves a standard that we want to continue to be persevering whatever the circumstances are, whoever the preacher is, whatever the weather is, that we practice perseverance. And to perseverance, he says, add godliness. There's that word I said we'd come to again. It really is an abbreviated form of God-likeness. I can remember as a youngster hearing old-timers talk about certain people being godly. I don't hear that much nowadays, that a church member, they are a godly person. I hope they can say that about you, not to call attention to yourself, but godliness is just reflecting godlike character. It's a sin to want to be like God in authority, 
That's the reason the devil got cast out. He said, I will be like God. No, no, we don't. That's only for God's position. But to be like God in character, in honesty, in integrity, in morality, in faithfulness. God likeness. And then he says, to godliness, brotherly kindness. Do you hear that? Brotherly kindness. We ought to love everybody, but especially the family of faith. Our fellow Christians. But you know what happens sometimes? A Christian falls. Boom, boom, boom. And the bullets come from the guns of fellow church members. You know, I'm telling the truth. Someone's rightly said an indictment of us. The only army in the world that shoots its wounded is the church. Let's not be that way. Now, that doesn't mean we ought not to hold high the standard of living. The same Bible that tells us to do that says in Galatians 6, Brethren, I'm like Christians. If a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one, watching out for yourself, lest you also be tempted. So we want to be a fellowship of forgiven and forgiving people. We have brotherly kindness toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. One day I may need that. One day you may need that. And we must show it to one another if we want not to fall as a Christian. And then he adds that crowning virtue of all, L-O-V-E. We've used it so much we've almost watered it down. There are several words translated love in the language, in the Greek language, but the one here is the word you've almost anglicized, agape love. It's God kind of love. If I can put it in words we can understand, it's unmotivated love. Most of our love is motivated. It's unconditional love. Most of our love is conditioned. If you do this and you do that and you don't do this and you don't do that, I'll love you. But if you do this or you don't do this, I don't love you. That's not the way God loves. God loves us unconditionally. My dear friend, that's the way I'm to love you and you're to love me and we're to love one another. We love, you say, well, preacher, you know some people, you're asking me to love, I do. You look in the mirror and see yourself, warts and all. Has there ever been a day God didn't love you? Not on your life. He loves us just like we are, but too much to leave us like we are. He helps us to become what he wants us to be. And he says, add to the crowning virtue, love. There is the way. Peter says, if you do these things, Seven of them. You will never fall. And finally, the goal of our faith, it doesn't take a theologian to understand it. He simply says two things in verses 8 through 11. He says there are two things that are going to happen. Some things are going to be eliminated from your life and some things are going to be insured. The things that are going to be eliminated are ineffectiveness. So many of us feel ineffective. Blindness, that is nearsightedness and forgetfulness. Let's lump them all together. Those things are going to be eliminated from our life. I need that. Forgetfulness, for instance. I don't mean forgetting birthdays and anniversaries. Forgetting how you felt the day you became a Christian. 
the closeness to the Lord, the excitement, the love, the dynamic that was there, how you felt. Just don't ever let that love ebb and grow cold. That is, forgetfulness can be such a plague to us. Nearsightedness, forgetting who we were, what we were when we met the Lord. But also some things are insured. They're guaranteed, and Peter says, here's some things that are insured. Security in the present, security in the future. In the present, you'll make your calling and election sure. And you will never fall. That's the greatest insurance policy you could ever ask. It's God's guarantee, not mine. It's God's guarantee. If you'll do these simple seven things, if this is the word of God, God says you do it, you'll never fall. And in the future, you'll receive a welcome into the eternal kingdom. When we get to heaven, we sing sometime, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that's going to be. And it will be worth it all when we see Jesus and we're in his presence. So the goal of our faith is to eliminate certain things, ensure certain things for the here and now and for the hereafter. If you forget all the words, remember these four and these four. Add to your faith and you will never fall. Would you bow together with us for just a moment? And with our heads bowed. I don't know what God has said to you through his word, but I hope you're open to it. And you will be your own conscience. Listen to what God says. We do not want to fall by the wayside. We don't want to become has-beens. We want to be all God wants us to be. Here's how to do it. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, these are not things that make you a Christian. These are things that are byproducts of the Christian life. To become a Christian starts simple faith in and commitment to Christ as Lord. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and right here today. That can happen to you. It's happened to me. It can happen to you. It can happen to a friend sitting next to you. It can happen to a loved one you may be praying for. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you've never done that, I invite you to do it right now. If you're already a Christian living here but don't have a church membership in Shelby County, don't be a non-resident member. This morning, you can move out from where you'll be standing, come down this aisle and take one of our staff by the hand and say, today, I want to be a part of First Baptist Pelham. Some folk did it last Sunday. You can do it today. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that teaches it to us. And thank you this morning that we can hear that word and we can live by it through the Holy Spirit. And for those who need to make personal decisions, help them to do it right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together with us? And as we stand, David's going to lead us to our invitation hymn. Brother Paul and Brother Don are right here to welcome you on the very first stanza. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.